I have to strangle some cats. I'll be right back. idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 16, recorded on the 17th of September, 2020. We've had nearly two months off due to Tony's schedule, but we're back and we're going all out. Tony is reviewing Linux Mint 20 and Sparky Linux. Dale Miracle is going to make a special guest appearance with a Solus Plasma review. And I'm going to look at Ubuntu Unity and Gecko Linux, not in that order. We'd like to hear from you to see what you'd like us to take on. Be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, SUSE, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gentoo-based distros. We are keeping our distance, but we're in your ears right now. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. I completely restructured both my machines with a 1 terabyte SSD in the desktop and a 512 gigabyte SSD in the laptop, only to have my desktop short its power supply. Replacement and repair is in the works. I've also managed to bring my Raspberry Pi 4 online running Ubuntu Mate 20.04 and thought I had everything working fine, but then the VPN wouldn't load correctly. So now I have a new VPN. And then I accidentally blew out the power supply on my desktop computer. I just received the correct power supply, but have not installed it yet. I have, perhaps temporarily, moved the one terabyte SSD to my laptop and filled up its roster of eight partitions with distros, half of which are Ubuntu-based. I've got my distros up and running with some configuration yet to be done on some of them. This is what I do for fun. My current roster includes Mint 20 Mate and Bodhi 5.1, Gecko Rolling Plasma, Open Mandriva LX 4.1 Plasma, Sabayon Mate, Manjaro Cinnamon, Ubuntu Unity, and KDE Neon. While my desktop was down, I was gifted two towers, both formerly very high-end HP machines. One of them features a first-gen i7 processor, and the other a quad-core Xeon, my first Xeon-based machine. I look forward to utilizing these machines or finding someone on the wrong side of the digital divide to pass them along to. I am keeping a very close watch on a new independent distro, Relax Linux. That's R-E-L-E-A-X. 
They had a typo but decided to keep it. This is completely new with their own installer, package manager, and repos, and is currently in their fifth beta release. The magic COVID-19 money went away, and then all the unemployment money went away, so I'm back to being poor but with a lot less debt and a few dollars saved for as long as it lasts. I just got a short-term temporary job, probably good for two to three weeks, and I'm looking for other work. I would really appreciate it if any of our listeners would consider joining my sponsors. Distro Hoppers has experienced an upswing in downloads again with our last episode exceeding the magic 500 mark. Ten of our previous 15 episodes have had more than 400 downloads. This makes me happy. However, Archive has also not updated in over two weeks, so we don't know where we actually are at present. Actually, it has. Oh, it just did? I checked it yesterday. Yeah, it. when I checked it this morning, I'll tell you what the figures are for the... Last show. Yes, uh, episode 15 is up to 568. Oh, wow, that's 28 more. Yay. 14 is up to 429, and 13's just over the 400 at 402. Well, I'll have to go back and update our stats and the Mintcast stats like I do. <laughs> so what's new for you, Tony? Well, the last six weeks uh, been quite interesting. Uh, I've continued to play with Matchbox model cars in the last few, uh, and in the last few days, I've put a couple of uh, YouTube videos of completed models for this year's Paint It Pink Challenge, which is about raising awareness of cancer. The actual challenge month is uh, next month, October, but I'm away for a lot of October, so I did mine early, and I've put a link to them in the show notes. I also managed to damage my finger on my left hand when a drill bit broke while drilling out a post on one of the models a few weeks ago. The broken bit went into my finger (laughs) and that's still numb despite it being over five or six weeks ago. So uh, yeah, it is getting better, but um, you know, these things take time when you when you do damage like that. <laughs> My wife thinks I've got a death wish. The amount of times I cut myself when I'm in the kitchen or modelling. Easy with those knives, Tony. Knives, drill yeah, bits. Yeah, gotta be careful. I've recently spent a couple of weeks as a volunteer at Woodbrook Quaker Study Centre here in Birmingham in the UK as one of the on-site presents during the closure due to the COVID pandemic. Despite it being very quiet, as very few people are around at the moment, it was nice to have access to the 10 acres of gardens and woodland and just chill for a couple of weeks. I'm going back again a week on Sunday for another two weeks, and when I return, I'll be going on vacation for a week. So, like I say, our next episode may be at the end of October or the beginning of uh, November, because I'm away for most of October. Linux-wise, I continue to use uh, Linux Mint 19.3 on the main box with Ubuntu Studio and Ubuntu Mate 20.04 on the uh, additional drives in the IC dock. For the show, I've been playing around with Mint 20's Barky Linux, but more of that later. So, uh, shall we move on, Moss? Let's... Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. KDE Neon released a version based on 2004 with the oddity that you had to download the last 1804 version and run an update. Perhaps they have it fixed by now. Otherwise, most of the updates appear to be new versions of programs, and we'll get to some of those in today's show. Have you found anything, Tony? 
Yeah, but it, uh, just before uh, I move on to my bit, uh, it does seem strange that Neon's done that, that you've got to download 1804 and then update to get the 2004. It just seems a bit weird, that. Well, they've done five more updates since then, so they may have fixed that by now. Right, okay. Anyway... My news is that Fedora 33 is uh, approaching beta, uh, and both myself and Leo have reviewed that on the show in the past. So it's going to be possibly taking uh, worth taking a look at later in the year when it gets released. This will mean that Fedora 31 will be end of life by the end of the year, assuming they release 33 on time, as they only have two supported ISOs during any release cycle. No long-term support ISO with Fedora, I'm afraid. If you want to install it once and just leave it for a while, then you'll need to consider other alternatives. It is possible that the final release date may slip a little as they prefer to release a stable product rather than being tied to the timetable for the final release, so we'll wait and see. So that's it for my updates. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Our first distro this month, Mint 20 Matei. Okay, as we say, I'm first going to review Mint 20 Matei. As you probably all know, I've been running Mint Matei for uh, eight years since the advent of uh, Unity on Ubuntu took me away from my first Linux OS. So I was interested to find out if anything, apart from a few minor software upgrades, had happened in Mint for this release. So just for information, the, uh, uh, the laptop I put it on was the Dell 7440 which the specs are in the um, show notes and it's the uh, main testing laptop for this year that I've used previously. As usual with Mint the install was flawless and the whole process start to finish was over in about 15 minutes. The updates as it's uh, a recent release didn't take very long either. I won't bore you with the installer as it's a standard process we have reported many times and it's very easy to use. But for those new listeners, there's a link uh, to a YouTube video of installing Mint 20 Mate, including the process for creating a bootable USB drive. So like I say, I've put a link to that in the uh, notes. Post-installation hardware fact and issues. So after all the updates were installed, I checked to make sure all the hardware was recognised. It was connected to the internet by Wi-Fi, so that was working fine. All the ports and the trackpad were working. I installed Cheese to check that the webcam was working, as I needed this for Zoom calls at the moment, and uh, there's no issues with that. So as expected, there were no hardware issues identified at install, and nothing has reared its head in the six weeks of working with this install. Ease of use. It's Mint Marte. <laughs> I'm so familiar with it, I can also... Almost do things blindfold <laughs> or in my sleep. Nothing what, that I can find uh, in the inner working seems to have changed in any way that I can see. So thumbs up from me here. Application issues. So this is where things take a, to a slight turn for the worst. I use Snaps and the decision of the Mint developers has been to remove active support for Snaps in this release to the extent of creating a script that blocks the install of SnapD. This is due to Ubuntu only making Chromium available as the Snap package 
But when you call sudo apt install chromium in an Ubuntu terminal, it calls on the snap without informing the user uh, what's happening. Our friend and co-host Leo from Minkcast came up with a simple script to remove the, um, the blocking script that blocks the installation of snapd. So uh, you, you can go to uh, a link that I've put in the show notes on OMG Ubuntu for that. There's also instructions for doing this in the file manager as well, just in case you're a bit nervous about doing things in the terminal. Once this has been done, I was able to install snapd and install the snap software that I use regularly without any issues. For me, this is a retrograde step and it makes Mint 20 less user-friendly for a new Linux user. A more simple solution could have been to ask the user if they wish to install support for snaps during the install process. This could have been done at the same time they ask you if you wish to install non-free codecs. Other than that issue, all my usual software is available and I was able to download and install everything I use for podcast production and the other tasks I regularly carry out on my PC. Software has been updated and where installed, these are the versions of the software I'm using. Audacity is 2.3.3, GIMP is 2.10.18-1, Mumbles 1.3.0, LibreOffice is 6.4.5, Calibra is 4.12, Inkscape is 0.92.5-1. These are mostly upgrades to the software in Mint 19.3 but still not the most cutting-edge. If you want more cutting-edge software, you'll have to use Flatpak or Snaps once it's enabled to do this. But as the Mint 20 is based on Ubuntu uh, stable LTS, it's not surprising. Tony, there's been a lot of back and forth all over the internet on this decision of Clem's to disable snaps. And yes, it's pretty easy to re-enable if you want to do that. I haven't on my machines. I've noticed that it's really going 50-50 with slightly more people coming out in favor of Clem's decision than opposed to it. The ones opposed to it seem to be more heavily Ubuntu-oriented people. Yeah, for me, I'm not not against the decision. I just think he could have made it a little bit easier for people to have the choice uh, rather than having to go deleting... Uh, if they'd have made it that that f- file could be deleted at uh, install, I would have been very happy with that. I'm sure it's not Clem's final decision on this. It's just what he had to do to get 20 out. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it might change in the next few months. Memory use. At first boot, which takes about 25 seconds, the laptop reports 688 megabytes of memory use, and that's in uh, NeoFetch. With Firefox open, this jumps to 12.45 meg. And if you open three tabs at once, it goes up to about 16.50 of memory use. This would make it usable with a PC of uh, 4 gig of RAM, which is the bare minimum these days. So no problems there. Hard drive use at first boot was around 10 gig. Ease of finding help. Never found this to be an issue, and even the SnapD problem was sorted within hours of the release being out. And thank you to Leo, our fellow co-host on Mintcast. Uh, I just Googled it, and it comes up with his solution on OMG Ubuntu, so that was great. Plays nice with others. Again, good to go. No issues with this here. Can't really say anything else. I've never had a problem with Mint playing nice with others when you want to do dual boot. Stability. 
as expected in the six weeks of having this laptop, this on the laptop, I have no issues with stability. So ratings. Ease of installation. New user-friendly install scores, I've given it 9 out of 10. Experience Linux user, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10, because there was none. Ease of finding help, again, 10 out of 10. Ease of use. I've marked this down to 7 out of 10, and that, that's due to the SnapD issue, because uh, obviously some new users will find that a bit of a faff. Uh, obviously, experienced users, it's probably not going to be a major issue. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. So the overall rating, I've given it 9 out of 10. Similar distros to check out. Obviously, Mint 20 Cinnamon and XFCE and Ubuntu Mate come spring to mind. Is anything else spring to mind for you, Moss? Well, there's so many things that you could just go all over the place. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you wanted to talk about Manjaro Mate or something like yeah, you could anything running Mate will look like this, but Mint is Mint, and yeah. we're glad it is. <laughs> so my final comments apart from the issue with blocking the install of SnapD this is another fine release of Mint and I will personally be continuing to use this as my daily driver for the next two years at least I've not updated, uh, updated my desktop uh, as yet but I'm always a little slow on doing that anyway but all my clean installs of Mint on other hardware will be Mint 20 from now on However, if installing for new users, I will be ensuring that the SnapD fix has been applied before I pass it on to uh, the final user. I hope that Mint considers giving the user the choice to enable SnapD at install if they wish to, and then we'd all be happy. It will again become a distro I can happily recommend to a new user that would be doing the install themselves and not comfortable about deleting config files and stuff. So... Uh, yeah, that's it, really. It's just a very, very solid Mint uh, release, as usual. So shall we move on to Moss and hear about Gecko Linux? Okay, I've got Gecko Linux 152 stable and rolling. Uh, if you've ever experienced the pain and confusion of attempting to install OpenSUSE, you're in for a treat because Gecko Linux gives you almost exactly OpenSUSE, but installs it using Calamaris, the world's easiest installer. After installation, you're booting up to an OpenSUSE screen, but with a little extra Gecko goodness. You really have to look for the differences. So I dove into this distro with both feet and both computers, with static, the same as Leap, on my laptop, and rolling, same as Tumbleweed, on my desktop, until the desktop died, and now I'm just running rolling on the laptop. My hardware. My laptop is a 2014 model System76 Kudu 3 with a 17.3-inch screen, an i7 processor, and Intel graphics, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and a new 512 gigabyte SSD. I later replaced that by swapping in my 1TB SSD. My desktop is a homemade mini ITX box with an i3 Intel graphics 16GB of RAM, and at the time I had the 1TB SSD in that, I'm using a 32-inch Westinghouse TV as an HDMI monitor. Installation Ease and Issues It has been almost a year since I had a problem with Calamaris on any distro, and they fixed that bug. It's smooth as silk, and no issues were noted. 
post-installation hardware facts and issues. I've installed everything I can install. This includes Softnaker Office and the three KDE games. Pysol FC says it's installed but does not work correctly, and I can't find NetHack. No issues with Mumble, Discord, Telegram, Audacity, etc. But when I connect my laptop to my 32-inch Magnavox HDMI monitor, it refuses to write to either screen. The monitor screen has the wallpaper on it, but nothing else, and the laptop screen is pure black. If there were something on the monitor, I could use displays to set it, but no. And as soon as I disconnect the HDMI or turn the monitor off, my laptop screen works again. I also had Gecko rolling on my desktop until it died, and as there is no battle between monitors, it only has the HDMI Magnavox, it works fine. On September 1st, I switched drives, so I did most of the review using static on my laptop and finished up with rolling on my laptop. Ease of use. This is a nice, easy-to-use distro. It uses Zipper for the program manager. Some things need to be learned if you're used to DNF Dragora or apt, but there's a good reason OpenSUSE is quite popular in most parts of the world. Memory use. Rolling used 569 megabytes RAM at rest on my laptop with HTOP running. After opening Firefox with three tabs, it's using 2.14 gigabytes. As I have a 16 gigabyte system, that is not a problem. If you have at least 4 gigabytes, it should also not be a problem. Expect older machines with less RAM to do a lot of swapping at this level. Ease of finding help. I didn't look for help on the monitor issue, but there is extensive help available at the Gecko and OpenSUSE forums, as well as at linuxquestions.org, which I always recommend everyone checking out if you're using any form of Linux. Plays nice with others. Here is where it all falls down and why I have this section. There are three ways in which a distro does not play nicely, and I'm sure I haven't really described this in the past. The first, it requires you to completely reconfigure your BIOS and or main drive. The second, it will not install without taking over the entire drive, whether that's intentional or accidental. The third, and this is what's happening with Gecko, is where it keeps demanding control of Grub. In the past six weeks, Gecko has updated Grub on five occasions and stolen Grub for itself each time. Most of my other distros did steal Grub during this time, but only once. Since the Grub menu is high-res and therefore unreadable to older eyesight, I don't want it to own Grub, so I always have to go back into Open Mandriva, still the most beautiful Grub screen ever, and take it back. If you have Manjaro, that would also be a good choice. Also, if you still have the Mint Grub menu from 19.3. Stability. I have had zero problems with anything. No crashes of any kind, no stuttering. It doesn't appear to make a difference whether I'm using stable or rolling. Everything works just the way it should. Similar distros to check out, well, obviously, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed or Leap. Nothing else appears to be based on OpenSUSE or use Zipper for program management. This is odd because there are so many distros out there that are based on something else, like Ubuntu bases itself on Debian, and then all these other distros are basing themselves on Ubuntu. OpenSUSE is one of the oldest distros out there, and we haven't seen anything but Gecko actually base itself on SUSE. Yeah, it seems OpenSUSE has become a bit of a niche distro, which, like you say, it's a really good distro, and yet... Uh like uh, there isn't that much uptake of it in the I'm not saying there isn't in um, the commercial world but you know as far as far as the uh, kind of community goes it does seem to have uh, kind of slipped down the kind of radar 
you know, particularly with Ubuntu-based systems. Right. Well, SUSE is an early fork of Slackware, which was one of the first distros to come off of soft, software landing service, soft something landing services. As SLS Linux was the first Linux distro out there, people. And don't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's been out a long time, but nothing is really based on it other than Gecko, which is basically yeah. just a reimagining of how you set it up rather than a reimagining of the distro itself. Ratings, ease of installation for new user, 10 of 10. Experienced user, obviously 10 of 10. Calamaris is just that easy, people. Hardware issues, 8 of 10. Ease of finding help on the community, web, or whatever, 9 of 10. Ease of use, 9 of 10. Plays nice with others, 2 of 10. Stability, 10 of 10. Overall rating, 8 of 10. By the way, I would, I probably should rate it more like 4 of 10 on plays nice with others because real open SUSE is harder. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Final comments. SUSE was the second distro I ever used, and this new version works tons better than the old one did. Some people are addicted to open SUSE, others steer clear of it, but it's all a matter of how it feels to you. I would suggest that if you choose open SUSE or Gecko, you have it as your primary or perhaps only distro, or you may be having frequent grub fights. I'm not rushing to take this off my machine, but it's likely not going to be a permanent resident. And now for a special report from Dale Miracle, where he introduces us to Solus 4.1 Plasma. Hello, my name is Dale, and I am back with another distro review. I will be reviewing Solus 4.1 Plasma. It has been my daily driver for the past eight months. Solus is a 64-bit independent Linux distribution, offering Budgie, GNOME, Mate, and Plasma desktops. In fact, they are the creators of the Budgie desktop. Solus is a rolling release type distribution. To quote their website, install today, update forever. That shouldn't concern you because I have found Solus to be extremely stable. At the time of this writing, on August 31st, 2020, Solus is using Plasma version 5.19.4, and kernel version is 5.6.19. Here are a few of the applications that are available in the Solus Software Center. LibreOffice 6.4.5, Firefox 80, Thunderbird 78.2, VLC 3.0.11. They also have these popular applications. MuseCore, Mix for MuseCore, for musicians, GIMP, Inkscape, for graphic design, or editing videos with AvidMux, CadenLive, or Shotcut. For the gamers, they support Lutris and Steam. I use Solus on two of my computers. I have a Lenovo T460 laptop. It has an i5-6200U 2.3 GHz processor, 16 GB of RAM, a 240 GB SSD, and the HD Graphics 520 that's built into the i5 CPU. My desktop 
is one that I built. It has an MSI Crate Z97 SLI motherboard, a Xeon E3-1231 version 3 3.4 GHz CPU, 16 GB of RAM, an AMD Radeon R9390 8GB graphics card. I have a 500GB SSD for the boot and root partition and a 240GB SSD for my home partition. I had no problems installing Solus on either machine. The process is similar to other distros like Ubuntu and will guide you through the common questions like language, keyboard, username, and where to install it. A nice feature was the option of installing the bootloader or not. You will also have the option of encrypting your hard drive or SSD. Another option is installing LVM, which is a way of grouping multiple drives together to add the sum of their storage space. If you want to use it, you must install it during installation. I asked on the Solus forums if it could be done post-install, and I am told it is complicated, but it can be done. It took about 14 minutes from power off to reboot and sign in. Upon first login, all the hardware is detected and configured on my laptop and desktop. I forgot that my HP Color LaserJet 100 MFP was powered on and in a low power state, but Solus detected it automatically. I never needed to do anything to be able to print. For the ease of use, all I can say is Solus just works. Despite the rolling nature of Solus, I have successfully installed updates every month, sometimes numbering over 200 in the past 8 months, I might add. It has been a stable distribution, as stable as Debian, which I have used for several years prior to using Solus. The Software Center is one of the best I have ever used in a Linux distribution. The search feature is quick and accurate. You could use Solus and never open the terminal, so if you are not a command line fan, you will feel right at home. If you do like the command line, EOPKG, or EOPackage, is the command line packaging app. Unlike apt, which is used on Debian-based distros, where you would have to refresh the package list, then install the updates. EOPackage will update before completing the chosen command. The commands are straightforward. Search for searching, install for installing, and upgrade for upgrading. The Software Center has a section for third-party applications. They are separate from the native Solus packages. If you need Flatpak or Snap support, it is available in the Software Center. The only negative, at least for people who do not like the command line, is there is no GUI for Snap or Flatpak. The devs are working on adding them to the Software Center, so for now, you must use the command line. Depending on the method you use to find your memory usage, the first boot of Solus ranged from 446 megabytes to 544 megabytes. The methods I used were free with the dash H for human readable, 
HTOP and Plasma System Monitor in the System Load tab. Under normal use on both my laptop and my desktop, Solus uses about 2 gigabytes. I normally have Firefox with a few tabs open, Thunderbird, and Telegram. Ease of finding help. The Solus community is among the best that Linux has to offer. I have asked questions in the past 8 months and usually had replies and a solution within a day or a few days. It is not uncommon to have the lead devs answer your questions. They have answered a couple of mine. Plays nice with others. All of my systems use CSM, bias compatibility, though they do have the option of using UEFI. The main reason is because I was previously using Debian 8 and upgraded to Debian 9, and Debian didn't support UEFI until version 9. So when I installed Solus, I forgot that I was using CSM. The other reason is because I haven't seen the need to use UEFI. With that said, I did install Solus on my Lenovo T430 that had Manjaro KDE. The Solus installer saw the Manjaro installation. It offered to do the following options. A side-by-side -side install, thus dual-booting Solus and Manjaro. Use the existing Manjaro partition and replace it with Solus. Or install Solus as the only OS wiping the drive. During the installation, you can choose to use the Solus bootloader or your existing one. Solus uses the default Grub 2.0 boot menu. I tried both. To use your other distro's boot menu, boot into that distro and type sudo update hyphen grub. Then reboot and you should see that distro's grub boot menu. Now as far as booting using UEFI, Solus doesn't like to share or use other OS's EFI system partitions. I did some searching on the Solus forums and found a tutorial on how to dual boot other OS's with Solus using UEFI. The link is in the show notes. The stability, like I previously mentioned, Solus is every bit as stable as Debian in my experience. Similar distros to check out. Well, seeing that Solus is a unique distribution, I would say that Manjaro Plasma would be a good comparison, as I have been testing Manjaro in the past month or two, and I found it to be comparably stable. Now on to my ratings. The ease of installation for a new user, I would say 8 out of 10. An experienced user is not going to have a problem. It's going to be 10 out of 10, stick a fork in it, you're done. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others. I'm going to divide that up into the compatibility support module, the CSM, 10 out of 10. Using UEFI, I'd say it's 7 out of 10. That's quite a detailed method of getting it to work. Stability, I would give it a 10 out of 10. My overall rating, 
will be a 9 out of 10. To finish up with my final comments, overall, I think Solus is a great distribution. The kernel is current enough so that you can use recent hardware with the added benefit of being extremely stable. About the only negative that I have ever heard about Solus is software availability in the software center. It may not have the selection that a Debian or an Arch-based distro might have, though in my view, that is only for niche applications. I think for the average computer user, the software selection is fine. Installing Snap and or Flatpak, despite currently only being available in the command line, is a definite win. I personally don't see the problem of typing Flatpak search or Flatpak install package name. Solus is only going to get better. And now back to Moss and Tony. Thanks, Dale. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Now for even more distro reviews. Okay, I'm back with Ubuntu Unity 20.04. Tony was saying that he moved to Mate when they dropped Unity. Well, it's back. There was a time when Ubuntu was all in on their own desktop experience, Unity Desktop. Then they changed their mind. Some people still miss Unity and has continued as a community project, with UB ports keeping up Ubuntu Touch, now using Lomiri Desktop, a renaming of Unity 8, which is not yet complete. Rudra Saraswat has taken time out of his busy schedule to make this respin, giving us the full Unity 7 experience on the latest Ubuntu. And you will either love it or hate it, for the same reasons people loved or hated Unity when it was the main Ubuntu. My hardware? I am running Ubuntu Unity on my 2014 model system 76 Kudu 3 as mentioned above, and my wife is also using an on and off on her 2013 Lenovo ThinkPad T430. I may have to get her on, her on here to do her own review. <laughs> Installation ease and issues. This nice respin has intentions of becoming an official flavor of Ubuntu, and so it uses Ubiquity Installer. That's the usual installer, and it allows you to use the terminal trick to not install Grub, which is Ubiquity space dash dash no dash bootloader in a terminal. Just remember to update your Grub in whichever distro you have controlling Grub, which would be sudo update hyphen grub or sudo update hyphen grub2 depending on what distro owns grub, so that it gets included in your boot menu. If you use this as your sole distro, you can ignore all that, and you'll find it fairly easy to get through the installation, especially if you're familiar with Ubiquity. The dev maintains this as his primary distro, although he has two distros he runs for Raspberry Pi, one mature, the other in development and using Unity, and he also maintains Ubuntu Ed, a continuation of Edubuntu based on his Ubuntu Unity. He's also working on Ubuntu with the Lomiri desktop, strictly experimental at present. Yes, he's that busy. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Everything runs just like you expect it to, except that it's Unity instead of GNOME or another popular desktop environment. This is extremely well done. I encourage donating to this distro if you want to see more from this developer. I did. Ease of use. Unity is simple. You may need to use Unity Tweak to get things the way you like them, but the entire difference between Unity and most other desktops is that you close windows on the upper left instead of right. You may like that, you may hate it. That's the same issue Ubuntu had when it was the main choice, but everything works, just like you expect Ubuntu to work. 
If I remember correctly, you could go into the configuration and change that, though. I'm not sure, and right now Unity 7 is only community maintained. It's more in maintenance mode than actually being updated. Uh, all the work is being done on Unity 8, now called Lomiri, right. which is okay. not ready for prime time. <laughs> but if you want to help, he's got that out there. You can download it and, and give him all your, all your feedback on what bugs you're finding and how it's working and not working. Uh, it's not my kind of paradigm, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to others. <laughs> memory use. After booting and letting it sit for two minutes and nothing running except HTOP, memory use was 1.13 gigabytes. The dev is working at pulling more unneeded bits out of the system, but this is certainly not a light system at present. Ease of finding help. The user forum is pretty new and therefore does not have that much activity, but they have multiple telegram rooms, one for tech help, one for off-topic, and one for admins, and a Discord channel. There are several very dedicated users, and I'm in the group myself and will likely continue to be. This is one of the friendliest telegram groups I'm in. Blame it all on the dev. Rudra Sarasvat is the smartest elementary school student on the planet and knows how to be helpful and friendly. Also remember, this is Ubuntu. There is more online help, forums, YouTube videos, Telegram, Discord, for Ubuntu than for any other distro, period. Yes, I said elementary school student. I'm trying not to be heavy on that. <laughs> A 10-year-old boy has four or five distros going already. Yeah. Uh, makes you sick. Yeah. <laughs> makes you really hopeful for the future, though. Yeah, that's true. Plays nice with others. You bet. Just like any other Ubuntu flavor. Stability. Do I have to say it again? <laughs> it's Ubuntu. It's stable. Yeah, to get that right. <laughs> Similar distros to check out any Ubuntu flavor. At present, there are no other distros using Unity 7. Ratings. Ease of installation. New user 8 of 10. Experienced user 9 or 10. I guess 10 because everyone's experienced has already used Ubiquity. Uh, hardware issues. 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help. 10 out of 10. Ease of use. 9 out of 10. Plays nice with others. 10 out of 10. Stability. 10 out of 10. I'm giving this one a 9.5 for an overall rating. Oh. Get into the halves, eh? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Unity is not my thing. Um, in fact, Unity is the reason I went back to Windows 7, but that was because uh, Ubuntu with Unity wouldn't load on my computer, and I couldn't manage to get any of the workarounds to get another DE going. Okay. You didn't think of uh, jumping ship to a different distro at the time? Not at the time. At the time, I don't think there is anything as good as Ubuntu out there. So my final comments, even if you don't like Unity, you will like this dev and the group of people offering support. I would suggest installing it just so you can feel good about joining the Telegram group. This is the kind of community that we love to see, and the dev is the kind of person who is shaping the future of Linux. I have donated to this project and highly recommend that you check it out and see if you can do the same. However, this is probably the first distro to be replaced when I look for something for next month's show. I just can't get used to that top left corner click. Shame on me. Now let's get back to Tony who will introduce us to the joys of Sparky Linux. Well, 
Well, joys might be a strong word, but we'll see. So, uh, as Moss says, I'm going to be uh, reviewing Sparky Linux. Just uh, an intro. Sparky Linux is a distribution based on Debian. Uh, and the latest release is based on Debian 10. Sparky Linux 5.12 came out in July. However, they also do a semi-rolling release branch based on uh, Debian testing, which is currently Debian 11 testing. So I decided to review this because I'm quite partial to a rolling release. I've tested Tumbleweed and added Endeavor a while back as well. So a note of caution, although the developments do do everything they can to keep this as stable as possible, as it's based on the testing branch, then things can go wrong. So resulting in a uh, bulk system. (laughs) This is the reason that LMDE is no longer based on the testing branch as it was in the past. But if you want a more cutting-edge kernel, which uh, after a recent update is now up to 5.8, and likewise more up-to-date software uh, and can resolve issues yourself, then this may be the distro for you. So installation. For information, the install was done on my uh, Toshiba Portage Z30. The specifications are as follows. And this was the machine that I used for most of uh, last year's reviews. So it's an Intel Core i5 with uh, two cores and four threads, runs at uh, 1.7 gig, up to uh, a boost of 2.7 gig. I've got 128 gigabyte uh, M2 SSD in it and 8 gig of uh, DDR3 RAM. So to keep uh, MOS happy, Sparky uses the Calamaris installer and the uh, process is as usual. You go through the process of picking your language, location, keyboard, do your partitioning, which they give you all three options. You can either totally wipe, do a dual boot or a manual install. And then you go through to username and password. Also, it uh, asks you whether you want to boot straight to the desktop or require a password. You can also uh, change passwords uh, for the um, administration account or use the same password. Yeah, Calamaris is also good in that if you already have a multiple boot, you can pick a partition and it will just replace that so free and automatically that everyone else should have that feature (laughs) yeah it's brilliant i love the calamaris installer so it only took a few minutes to install and the first boot after this prompts you to run any updates that are available which if you have a reasonably fast internet connection is also a fast process after this it prompted me to install the british english language pack so that you only need to install the language pack that you need rather than everything under the sun that you'll never use. So post-installation hardware facts and issues. Again, as with Mint, I did not have any issues with any of my hardware on this laptop. As it's an old machine and this is uh, a very up-to-date kernel, I would not have expected any, but with a PC only a few months old or with uh, a specific specialist graphics card you may experience uh, some differences and difficulties but uh, because it's a fairly uh, current system that might not be a major issue ease of use as i'm familiar with the mate desktop environment and the debian ecosphere then i found this as easy to use as mint during the four weeks or so of using this os i've not had any issues regarding it being difficult to use 
Although a new Linux user may have a different experience, but as the chances are that they would be coming over from using Windows, I doubt they would experience any major issues. Application issues? None at all. All my regular software was available in the repos and you can install snaps and flat packs once you've enabled these. Memory use? Uh, first boot, NeoFetch reported 560 meg of RAM usage and Gparted reports 6 gig of disk space used before any additional software was installed. With Firefox open, RAM goes up to 1250 meg and with three tabs open, this jumps up to about 1830 meg. So even with the minimal 4 gig of RAM, this should be a very usable system. Again, if you're running less than that on a holder hardware, uh, the uh, devs do say that this will run on a Pentium 4. So, uh, you know, you might want to uh, look at that. Ease of finding help? Well, during the time I used Sparky Linux, the only thing I needed any help with was installing the flat, uh, flat pack onto the system. This was quickly resolved with a quick Google search which came up with how to do this on Debian. And after following the steps, I had Flatpak installed and was able to install items from Flathub site without any issue at all. I do not see support being a major issue due to the large Debian community available, as well as a very extensive Sparky wiki, which uh, I've put a link in the show notes for. Plays nice with others. I did a dual boot on the uh, Toshiba and had no issues with this. And as we've already talked about, the Calamaris installer is really good for dual booting. So I wouldn't say that this was going to be a major issue. Stability. Despite this being based on Debian 11 testing, during the time I used Sparky, I had no issues with any updates, even after leaving it switched off for about a week after returning from Woodbrook and having over 300 meg of updates to do. It went flawlessly. So in the time I used it, no issues around stability were found, although with longer use, this may have been different. So ratings... I've given it a flat 10 everywhere. New user install. Experience user install, of course, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, 10 out of 10. Ease of use. Place nice with others, there's stability. All 10 out of 10. Like I say, the only the only thing that you might find with longer use than I gave this machine is the stability might uh, occasionally be a bit flaky. So your overall ratings are seven? <laughs> <laughs> so I think you can guess that it's a 10 out of 10 for this. Uh, right. Yeah. Mind you, this is the testing version. It is. This is not the version that Sparky sets up for people that want a stable version. <laughs> yeah. So you might want to go and check that out if you want a stable version, because my experience on the testing is very good. So I would imagine the uh, the stable version based on Debian 10 is going to be excellent. So similar, similar distros to check out. I did a quick... Um, search on distro watch to see what was out there that was based on debian testing and the only one i could come up with was mark ulu linux there are a few others that you might want to uh, look at that are based on debian stable mx linux q4 os bunsen labs which i've uh, done reviews on all those three in the past and Solid XK, which I haven't had a go at yet, but uh, maybe that could be a future review. Final comments. Despite this being a semi-rolling release based on Debian 
Debian testing, I found Sparky Linux to be a well-made distribution and very user-friendly. Some of that is due to the fact that I'm very familiar with Deb systems in general and also a regular Mate desktop environment user. So much of what was on offer was very familiar in the environment to me. Despite that, I feel that a new user would have no issues getting to grips with this distro and despite its pedigree of a semi-rolling release, it was very stable during the testing period, as you've already heard. I definitely think this is the one I will be keeping an eye on in the future and it will probably become a fixture on one of the ICDoc drives on my uh, tower shortly. Uh, I just need to decide whether to dual boot it on one of the other disks or give it a whole disk. I haven't decided yet. So, without much further ado, shall we move on to new releases for this month? New releases since last episode... July 24th to September 14th. Live Razo 11.20.09.14, Fury BSD 2020.09.07, Arco Linux 20.9.2, Manjaro Linux 20.1, Deepin 20, Nutix 11.6, KDE Neon 2020.09.10. This is their fourth update since last episode, so I have pull all the other repeats in this list. Zorin OS 15.3, Nitrux 2020.09.05, Ubuntu DP 20.04, I think that's the Deepin edition, CloudReady 83.4.27, Arch Linux 2020.09.01, Sparky Linux 2020.09, Endless 3.8.6, Reborn OS 2020.09.01, Garuda 2008.31, IP Fire 2.25 Core 148, Q4 OS 3.12, Easy OS 2.4.1, Absolute 2020.08.27, Septor 2020.4, Midnight BSD 1.2.7, Xtix 20.9, Tails 4.10, Blue Star 5.8.3, Raspio OS 2020-08-20, Swift Linux 19.2.1, Makulu Linux 2020-08-16, Redo 2.0.5, Voyager 20.04.1, Kali Linux 2020.3, Bicom 6.1.0 PBXWare, Parrot 4.10, Linux FX 10.5, Sparky Linux 2020.08, MX Linux 19.2 KDE. All official Ubuntu 18.04 flavors were updated to 18.04.5. All official Ubuntu 16.04 flavors were updated to 16.04.7. Libre Elect 9.2.4, Endless 3.8.5, GhostBSD 20.08.04, Phoenix 121, Bunsen Labs Linux Lithium, Alt Linux 8.1, Gecko Linux 999.200729.0 Rolling, OPN Sense 20.7, and Remnux 7. Well, that was a long list, but there again, it has been nearly two months. It has been. <laughs> Feedback. 
Ambrose writes, Moss heard you talking about Gecko on the shows and had an issue I hoped you could clarify. I tried installing it, went to manual partitioning, and set my partitions. When I clicked Next, a dialog appeared telling me that GPT partitioning is best for most people, and if I chose, I could go back and mark my partition table GPT before proceeding. Unfortunately, my partition table is already GPT. My system was originally MBR, which I repartitioned as GPT. I have not yet had the pleasure of owning a UEFI system, so I don't know much about those. The dialogue implies that it does not know how my disk is partitioned. I have three other Linuxes installed, and since I was unsure if the installer would bork my disk, I terminated the install. My guess is that it's just a badly worded dialogue, and the installer would not likely ruin my disk. But I have seen odd problems with the most recent versions of Calamaris. Do you think I should go ahead and try the installation? Thanks, Ambrose. I responded, I am always reluctant to tell people what they should do on their system. If it were me, I would make sure everything is backed up and go ahead. But I've had my share of borked systems, so I understand if you're not willing to do that. I keep everything set up UEFI, but with Secure Boot turned off. That seems to work for the most systems. I really don't know the ins and outs of other ways to set up your hard drive. And if you learn, would you please write us an article explaining it? You can send it to mintcast at mintcast.org if you do. I should have had him send it to uh, itsmoss.com. I can always use more articles there. <laughs> and that seems to be all our feedback for this episode. Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal. I have one recurring sponsor. Many thanks to SK Beans for joining up. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. I've had five donations from SK Beans now. He's been a sponsor that long. We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. We might take a couple weeks longer this time due to Tony's schedule. Our next month will be recorded on or about October 28th, 2020. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe Telegram and the Mintcast Discord groups. You can contact either Tony or me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Before we go... We would also like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast podcast team for allowing us to use their Mumble server, archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program, Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show, Joshua Lowe for work on our logo, all those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkit, and for all those who've worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord channel and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next episode. Thank all of you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>